Masechet Kirtubot Af Ayin, and we begin the seventh perek. Remember, we called Masechet Kirtubot Shas Katan. It has every subject in it. And now we're going to be approaching the subject of Nedarim, which is also going to be the next Masechet. Hamadir et ishto milehanot lo, ad shiloshim yom yaamid parnas, yater mikan, yosiv iten ketuba. A man makes a vow that his wife cannot have, any, cannot have any benefit from him. This is a problem because he is required by the ketuba to give her sustenance, and now he's prohibited from doing so. So they cannot remain married. If it's a short term, meaning less than a month, then he can get around his vow by appointing a trustee. And we'll see exactly how this works. But the trustee will give her food for that month. The man will pay back the trustee. And that way, he is only he is feeding her indirectly. So he's fulfilling his ketubah requirement, even though he's not violating his vow. But if it's for longer, if he takes a vow for any longer than one month, for two months, three months, then he has to divorce her because this is not a sustainable marriage to have to always go through a trustee. You know, she says uh, she can't say pass the salt. She has to tell someone else to tell him pass the salt. So this is impossible. Okay, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Israel agrees when it comes to an Israelite that if it's uh, a month, if she if he vows against against her receiving benefit from him for a month, then they can remain married and they'll use the trustee. But if it's for two months, then he has to give a he has to. Uh, divorce her, he has to pay the ketuvah because he's the one that made the vow. He ruined the marriage, so he still owes her a ketuvah. Whereas Rabbi says, if he is a kohen, then this is a bigger problem because if they if he divorces her and then they change their minds and they actually like each other, like the likely the reason that he made the divorce in the first place because they're in a fight. And so he says, I'm not giving anything to you. I'm not feeding you. I'm not, you cannot have any benefit from me. So, okay, that makes sense. That led to the divorce. But let's say they change their mind later. So if it's Israel, they can always remarry as long as she didn't marry anybody else in between. But if he is a Kohen, they cannot remarry. So therefore the Buddha says, give it some a longer runway. Uh, let, let if, if he vows for two months that she cannot benefit from him, then let it go and use the third party trustee. If it's for three or more months, then he has to give a ketubah. That's case number one. Case number two, man says, I prohibit you, my wife, from having a particular type of produce. No, uh, no uh, um, grapes for you. You cannot have grapes. So this is a problem. He has to provide for her. And so now she cannot have this particular item. She may feel tortured by not have, being able to have grapes. And so he's not allowed to uh, sustain this marriage in such a way. And therefore, he must divorce her and he has to pay the ketuvah, either because e even if she made the vow and he sustained it, or he made a vow in a similar way, they has to he has to give the divorce right away. Interestingly here, we don't even give him a month. He has to give a divorce that day. Because unlike in the first clause where he said, I, I'm not giving you anything, but she can go and find food in another way, some uh, uh, herself. Here, uh, it's making a prohibition that she cannot take part of a particular pleasure, a particular food, and so he has no right to do that. If he does, 
then he has to divorce her right away. Similarly, similar to the first case, says if it's a case of an Israelite, then if he says just one day, all right, that's you know that's uh, that's fine. But if he says it for more than one day. You can't have grapes for more than one day. Then he divorced. He has to divorce her and pay a kituba. If it's a kohen, though, we want to give it a little more time because once they divorce, they can't remarry. So we'll allow such a vow. It says, if you, I, I prohibit you from having grapes for two days, they remain married. But if he says for three days, then he has to divorce her. Third case. And men uh, vows that his wife cannot adorn herself with a particular type of jewelry or perfume. And this also is restricting her and he's not allowed to do this. If he does so, he this is against his marriage obligations and he has to pay his divorce her and he has to pay the ketubah. Rabbi Yosef limits it and says it depends. If it's a, a poor family, a poor woman, where she's not often uh, putting jewelry on and putting perfume on, only once in a while, then if he says you're never allowed to put this particular perfume on, he has to divorce her. But if he gives a time limit and says for the next uh, six months, you can't do so. So in any case, she's not doing this on a regular basis then they can stay together. In other words, she's, he's not putting her out of her way and making her uh, more limited or suffering more than her normal practice. But if it's a rich person where she does, she does often put on this jewelry or put on this perfume, then up to 30 days, okay, up to 30 days, not everybody does, but even rich people, but more, more than 30 days, then it is an imposition on her. He has to divorce her and pay the ketubah. All right. Now, regarding the first case, uh, when the husband prohibits her from from getting any benefit from him, why would his vow be effective in the first place? After all, he is absolutely obligated to pay for her sustenance. And therefore, since he's already obligated, and she even has a, uh, a lien uh, on him, to pay for that, so how can he possibly make a vow that would be against his prior commitment? So therefore the vow should be null and void. Does he have the ability to undo his own obligation from the Ketubah? So why should they have to get divorced? Just say, your vow is null and void. After all, look at the case the other way around, where we do, we say precisely that. If a woman says, uh, I am forbidden, it's forbidden, that I will not do any work for you, it's forbidden for me to do any work from you uh, for your mouth. And any, any work that I do, you cannot benefit from. She makes that. And also the man does not have to nullify the vow because it's already null and void because she is already obligated from the stipulation of the marriage to provide, to do those chores around the house and do those things for him. 
We learn from the Mishnah Dadarim that because she is already obligated to him, she does not have the power to undo it with a vow. The vow is null and void. Here also we should say that since he is obligated to her to provide her sustenance, it was not in his power to undo his obligation. It should be null and void and then they could remain married. So that's the question. So we're going to see a couple of answers. First answer is that since he could say to her, you keep your earnings and um, sustain yourself and I'm, uh, and I'm not going to feed you. right? I'm not going to feed you and you'll feed yourself from your own wages. Since a man could say that, so when he vows and says, I am going to give you no benefit, it's the same as him saying, I also will not collect your wages, which he has a legal right to do. Therefore, it does not undo the marriage. It does not um, violate his obligation because he has a way to keep his, uh, keep his own money and not feed her by her feeding herself. Okay, now we say, hold on, let's try that in the other case where she is the one that makes a vow not to do any work for him. Wouldn't we say the same thing? If we agree with the opinion of Rav Huna Amarav, who we saw earlier, and he says, If a woman says to a man, I, uh, she can say to a man, I, I don't want your food, and I am not doing work for you. I will do, keep my own wages and I will pay for my own food. According to Rav, she has a right to say that. So in that case, then how would we explain the Mishnah Nedarim, where when she makes a vow that I will not do any work for your benefit, why does he not need to nullify it? Why do we consider already nullified? It should be a valid vow because we would say, when she says, I will do no benefit for you, it would be as if she says, I'm keeping my earnings and I don't want your food, which is a legal thing. So then, if he doesn't like that, he should have to nullify it. So too, in the case of the Mishnah and Nedarim, where she doesn't make this full formulation, she only says, I am not doing any work for you. Why don't we... Uh, insert that stipulation and presume that's what she meant. Uh, that since she could say, "I am, um, I'm, uh, I, I will not, I don't need your food, and I am not doing any work for you." Since she could say that, so even if she only says half the formula that I am not doing any work for you, it's as if she said, "I'm not doing any work for you, and you don't give anything to me." And therefore, her vow should be perfectly valid because it is in her legal right to do so. And in that case, the man should be required to nullify. And it's not null and void on its own because it's, a very, it's actually a legal formulation. So if we assume that saying half the formula is the same as saying the full formula regarding the man, then it has to be the same regarding the woman. And this does, comes to uh, con a contradiction with the Mishnah. Okay, rather, we're not talking about a case where we say it's as if she, he said the full formula, but rather our Mishnah here in Kitubot is when he actually said the full formula, even though the Mishnah doesn't say all that, we'll assume it, that he says, listen, 
You keep your earnings and I am not feeding you. Okay, um, as what she has a legal right to say. Um, if so, that she is feeding herself with her own earnings, what do I need the third party trustee for? Um, he, why do I need a trustee to give her food on my behalf? She has her own food. <clears throat> the answer is, safka. could be that she doesn't make enough for her own uh, sustenance. Uh, she only makes um, half the amount that she needs to eat, and therefore he's going to have to fill in the rest. So the rest that he's filling in, that he'll do to, through a third party. Wait, now you went too far the other way, because if she is not making enough for her own needs, then the original question comes back that he said he's not going to feed her, but he's required to feed her. In other words, if he says, you keep, keep your earnings and feed yourself, that's fine as long as she makes enough to feed herself. But if not, then the husband still has an obligation to feed her. And since he has an obligation to feed her and he made a vow that he's not going to give anything to her, uh, then we come back to the very same question we started with. Why is his vow not null and void? He, how can he make a vow to undo his basic obligation? Here's an answer. We're talking about a case where she does make enough for her major needs, basic needs of uh, a bread and some hummus and some olives, basic needs, but she doesn't make enough for other smaller luxury items, uh, getting a manicure, that uh, she doesn't make enough. And so it's for those items where he makes a vow not to, do, not to give her those items. And therefore, since he's not obligated to give her a, provide for a manicure every week, his vow therefore would take effect. Now we ask, these small things, what, uh, what, what could be the case? If she's accustomed to them, that's her standard of living, so then she's accustomed and he has to provide it. If that's what he's, you know, this whole time she's used to manicure every week, then she ha he has to provide that. And if he vows against giving her uh, anything, then, then, then it should be null and void because he's obligated. And if he's not, if he, she's not, she doesn't normally get those things. She's not accustomed to getting a manicure every week. Then why would he have to get a third party to give it to her? He's not obligated at all. So either he has to do it, and then, the, then the the uh, vow is void, or he doesn't need to, and then he wouldn't need a third party to give it to her. So we answer, We're talking about a case where she it was used to getting this luxury item when she was in her father's house, but once she got married, even though she has a legal right to say, you have to provide for me as I'm used to, but when they were married, she lowered herself and forewent for that obligation and says, I will lower myself and I'll forget about the manicures. And she can say to him, until now that you were not in a fight with me and you did not make a vow, so I lowered myself and uh, I, I was happy to forego that right. But now that you made a vow not to provide me anything, uh, I am not willing to lower myself. Now I demand what's coming to me. So that's kind of that kind of case where it's uh, in somewhat in between. Okay. Five 
fine, we'll accept that. But what's the difference between before 30 days and after or after 30 days? How come they can remain married within 30 days and he has to provide it? He does have to provide it for her uh, because it is her standard of living, but he can do so through a third party. Why not even more than 30 days? The answer is, It's because of the public shaming. Before 30 days, people aren't going to hear about it. right? If a couple is uh, uh, not speaking to each other, he's not providing for her just for a few days, so it still remains a private matter. But after 30 days, people take notice. What's going on? Did you hear? They're fighting. They're separated. Uh, and then it's embarrassing for her, and so it's it's um, he he cannot demand from her to remain married in such a shameful state. So he has to divorce her and pay her kituva because he made this terrible vow. All right, all that was one possible answer, and now a second one again to explain how come when he makes a vow. It's not null and void since he has an obligation to provide for her. Maybe we're talking about a case where he made this vow before the Nisuin, while she was still living in her father's house, they did Kiddushin. At that point of time and time, he is not required to feed her. She's still getting sustenance from her father. So, but they're in a marriage. This is a bad marriage from the start. And he says, I'm not providing for you. Well, at that point, he's allowed to say it because he doesn't have an obligation yet to provide for her. So the vow is valid. Okay, Arusa mi'it la hold on. And Arusa, she's not getting sustenance anyway. So what does that mean that he says, I'm not going to sustain you? He wasn't providing anything anyway. Oh, velonisu. We're talking about a case where the time came to marry and they didn't marry yet. They did Kiddushin. They said, listen, on... Uh, of the first of Nisan, um, gonna, we're going to get married. And he delays it, he wasn't ready. But we learned, Once that time comes, and it's his fault that they didn't get married, he, at that point, has to begin providing for her. If he's a Kohen, she can ev- he can even give her so we have a case here where the, it's not a, an official obligation. It's not an obligation of the Ketuvah or on a Deoraita level as it would be for a Nisua, but rather a Dirabanan uh, level obligation because he did agree to that point, so he should have to provide for her. That's what we're talking about, that type of case. And that's why it, it works, even though he's obligated, but it's on a lower level, Dirabanan. Therefore, when he makes a vow and says, you know what? I'm upset at you. I'm not going to provide for you anything. You can have no benefit from me. So that can be fulfilled even though he has a lower level obligation to provide for her. Or right, we ask about this. Now, according to this reason, the second uh, explanation, why, why is the difference between before 30 days and after? You can't say about public shame because they're not married yet. She's still living in her father's house, so no one would expect him to be providing for her. So if they're, they are separated already, if he's not bringing over meals, uh, no, it's not going to arouse any suspicion and nobody would... I would care. She can continue living like that without any public shame. So what's the difference? Uh, Because before 30 days, the third party agent will carry out what he said. Uh, what he was uh, uh, tasked to do uh, uh, efficiently, right? Because, okay, better do it. 
But as time goes on, even this agent has other things to do, and he's going to start, uh, um, you know, not giving her the dessert, not giving her the salad, and uh, being lazy. And this is not a sustainable way of living, of being provided that they have to depend on, right? You could, it could, work, you could, it works for short term, but not for long term. All right, that's the second answer, which is acceptable. Now we're going to produce, we, uh, we're going to offer a third answer but we're going to reject it and go back to one of the first two uh, or maybe he made the vow when they were only had kiddushin and that's why it it's a valid vow even though he wasn't giving her food anyway but then they did get married and since the vow was already there uh, at the time that they, that they get married the vow continues to be in force and now he's not going to be giving her food while they're married. That's how the vow can be sustained even though they are married and he's obligated because he made the vow before they were married. We ask, Wait a second, if she agree, if she went ahead in, into the wedding ceremony, did the chuppah and agreed to live with him even though he made a vow, I mean, who in their right mind would do that? Uh, it means that she was okay with it. I don't know. She has food from a from another source, and she said, "Okay, fine. I'll, I don't mind being married to you." And if she accepts that upon herself, then she has to remain married. Why would he have to divorce her and give her give her a ketuba? The answer is, she said, "I thought that I'd be able to live this way, and that I'd be okay. We'll live together." By the way, even though he says oh, you cannot have any benefit from me, they can still have marital relations. This only would affect the food, clothing, things he has to provide for her. She said, I thought I would be okay and I'd be able to live this way. Now I realize that uh, I'm unable to. So then he, she has a right to then come and demand, hey, you have to provide for me. And since you made the vow, you have to divorce and give me a ketubah. That's what the case we're talking about. Now, another problem. Wait a second. This reasoning that she can change her mind, we do apply that when it comes to a blemish. If either he or she uh, goes into a wedding knowing that the other party has some kind of blemish, they have a, a wart or something, right? And they know about it and they went into the marriage thinking that I thought I could live with it. If they decide later on, since I knew about this blemish, but you know what? Now that they were ma that we're married, I can't live this way. Um, they have a right to uh, divorce. That's true for a blemish. But regarding food, there we, we there is no such right. We we don't find that a person can say such a thing. When it comes to food, everybody knows you really can't live without food. So there's nothing changing in her mindset that she, oh, I thought I could live without food. Now I realize I can't. There's no, you know, there's no new realization. But when it comes to a physical blemish, uh, you know that the, the phrase warts and all, it comes from Oliver Cromwell in the 1600s when he had a portrait artist come to paint him. He says, I want you to paint me warts and all, right? And so this is a phrase that came to mean, I'll accept my marriage partner, warts and all, and it doesn't matter what 
what what uh, uh, you know what, what we find later on. Uh, but that is actually psychologically not true. Sometimes a person thinks thinks that yeah I can live with this wart, but then turns out that they didn't realize because this is more subjective and can be subject to change, and therefore uh, this answer is not viable. A person is not going to be able to change. Not going to change her mind. Be uh, and think that she's okay before the marriage, uh, before the Nisuin, think that, okay, I'll live without food, and then realize, no, I can't live without food. No, if she agrees to it, she is stuck, and she would not deserve her ketubah. Rather, we're going to go back to one of the first two answers. All right, next question about the Mishnah. So again, the case is where a man says to his wife, I don't, I'm upset at you. I prohibit you from deriving any benefit from me. So this is a problem. How is it going to provide her food and sustenance? So on, for less than 30 days, he can still do it through a third party. The question is, isn't he still providing good things for her? He's doing it through a messenger. So what? I'm doing it through a messenger. If I give you a gift directly, or if I give you a gift through a friend, am I not still giving you benefit? Wouldn't that still be a violation of the vow? This is right. If I would go and tell my friend, hey, listen, can you give this sandwich to my wife? That certainly would be a problem. But if I go announce in public, anyone who gives food to my wife will not lose out, implying that I'll pay them back. That way, a person will go and they will, on their own, go and give a sandwich to my wife and then they can come back to me and I basically guaranteed I'll pay them back for it. But I did not actually send anyone. They're doing it of their own free will. That's the case we're talking about. Okay, wait a second. Even in that case, it's still doing it for me. It's still my messenger. How do we know? Look at this case in Gitin. Someone fell down into a pit and he suspects he may not come out alive. So he calls out and says, If anyone can hear me, write a get for my wife. So that is valid. They can go and write and give a get on behalf of his wife. In other words, that's considered a shaliach. That's an agent, even though he didn't tell a specific person, because he's in the pit, he doesn't know who's listening. Even though he just made a, made a general announcement, it's still considered a messenger. So to hear, even though he made a general announcement, we should still consider it a direct message, and therefore a violation of the vow of him giving benefit to her. We answer, Wait, these two cases are not the same. So even though both cases have something in common, that they're giving a, 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 a general statement to the public rather than a specific agent, nevertheless, there's a big difference between the two. In the case of Gitin, he said, whoever can hear this, you should write a bill of divorce. So he's giving a direct command. In our case, we didn't say that. He says, uh, the husband says, uh, whoever, uh, whoever's listening, sustain my wife, give her a sandwich. He just says, anyone who does it, it's a passive voice, they will not lose out. So it's a passive voice rather than an active verb, so that's permitted. Another problem. There's another case where we need to use a roundabout language, and that if someone's house is burning down on Shabbat, 
I'm not allowed to put out the house on Shabbat. It's not, there's no one in it. There's no uh, problem. There's no uh, um, uh, worry uh, that, uh, of uh, life at stake. Uh, it's, just, it's just property. So I cannot violate Shabbat if it's not pikuach nefesh. However, we do, the rabbis do allow a person, the homeowner, to come and say, and he, there's non-Jews around, because anyone who comes and puts out the fire will not lose out, right? I will pay, I can't pay you now, but I will um, pay you for your services after Shabbat, uh, since he's only Im- implying it, that's permitted. So, um, uh, now from the fact that this phrase says, the rabbis permitted it regarding a fire. It sounds like they permit it only in this specific case, bidileka lemutemai, and they're going to exclude another case. What are they excluding? Lav gavna. Aren't they excluding like uh, something like our case where the man says a vow? I you cannot have any benefit from me. That if he comes and says a public announcement, anyone who feeds her. Uh, that this would not be a good loophole. We only accept a loophole regarding the fire on Shabbat, not other cases. And we say, no, la lemeute shadi surim de Shabbat. No, we said, uh, the be a statement that only in the deleka they permitted it. What he wanted to exclude is other Isuresh Shabbat. In other words, another case that's similar to this. For example, uh, if I'm in the mood for a steak on Shabbat and I say, I don't have a steak. So I say, anyone who cooks me a steak, uh, right now, they will not lose out, and then I'll pay them for their for the steak and for their services after Shabbat. No, that would not be allowed. Uh, there's no there's no special need for that, and so it's obvious that they're doing it for me. So that would not be allowed. That's what he was coming to exclude. But only in this particular thing, when the house is burning down, that the rabbis did permit. But they only meant to exclude the steak example, other things on Shabbat. They were not talking at all or excluding the case of a vow. All right, so we're good so far with this answer. Uh, another challenge, though. If a person had a vow uh, to, from deriving so, uh, a benefit from someone else, A says to B, I'm not giving you anything. They're in a fight. I will not provide you anything. But B has no food. And after time, A kind of feels bad and wants to provide B with something. And he's not able to un- undo the vow. So here's a loophole. He can go to a grocer that he always goes to and they trust each other. And he says to his grocer, A says to the grocer he uses, Listen, this guy, Mr. B, he, I cannot uh, benefit from. I cannot give benefit to him directly. I don't know what to do. So then the grocer will say, oh, "Don't worry, I understand. I'll take care of it." Who no ten law? The grocer will go give food to B. And later on, the grocer will go to A and collect from him. So this is the same. It's a third party. And that's allowed. So sounds from. This Mishnah, it's a Mishnah Nedarim, that if you do it this way, it's permitted, but the Mishnah doesn't give the other loophole that we just mentioned, that you can go in, out in public and say, anyone who gives, uh, gives food to my wife will not, uh, will, will not lose out. Uh, it sounds like you have to do it in the grosser way and not in the public way. So it sounds like this is not a good solution. So we answer, No, of course this, that case would be good. It's even better. If I go out in public where I'm not specifying any particular agent, I'm just calling out into the, into the air, 
anyone wants to do that, they will be paid back. That certainly is okay, because whoever goes and does it, I might not even know the person. So that they're not doing it as my agent. They're doing it on their own, uh, and that's permitted. But I might have thought that this grocer, since I go to him all the time, and he knows me, and he's doing it basically for me, it's as if I'm going to him and telling him, you go give her the sandwich and I will pay you back. And that would be prohibited because then I'm making a direct agent. So I might have thought that this would be prohibited. So therefore, this Mishnah comes to teach that even in this case, it's permitted because I didn't tell him that directly. I just went and said, listen, I can't give him food. I don't know what to do. And the grocer figures that himself. But certainly, it would be permitted if we used this formula. Okay, more about that. More about this case that we just mentioned about the grocer, since we mentioned it already. Kufa. Uh, so in the case of I, I, uh, A said he's going to prohibit himself from giving anything to anything to B, but then he feels bad for him, he's poor, and he wants to give him, he can do it by telling the grocer the problem, and the grocer will figure it out, give him food, and then collect from A. Okay, we saw that already. We continue. What if there's other problems? Uh, a, again, said to, said that he can't, he's going to give no benefit to B, but then B's house fell down, or his fence is broken, or he needs help in the field to cut the harvest, and A wants to help him, but now he's prohibited because he made the vow, but now he likes him and wants to, so he can do the same thing and go to some workers. Again, so he goes to the workers that he knows, that always he always works. He goes to his regular gardener, and he tells them, Listen, that guy, I can't give him any benefit, but he does need help with his fence, with his garden. Well, I don't know what to do. So they'll get the message. So then they'll go and help him build his house, build his fence, and they come back and they'll collect from A. Good. We continue. Still from that Mishnah in Darim. Next case is uh, Two people are walking along the way and one person, call him B again, has nothing to eat. And A made a vow, he's not going to give him any, that he's not going to provide any benefit to him. Let's say if there's someone else also that's walking on the same path, so A can give a gift to Mr. C, and um, then Mr. C can hopefully decide that he will give the food to A. And then B can go and take it from C, and he can eat it. That's fine because I'm not. I didn't tell. I didn't uh, entrust C as a messenger. I give this to B, but rather I give it to C as a gift, and he can do what he wants with it. And then B will take it from him. That's fine. But let's say there's nobody else there to give it as a gift, to be the intermediary. So then A can take the food, put it on a rock um, or on a fence, just leave it out there and say, This is ownerless. 
anyone who wants to come can take it. Now, it's a funny scene because there's no one around for miles and miles, right? We're talking about a case. They're on the road. They're the only two people on the road. Nobody else around. But nevertheless, he wants to be able to share food with his friend who's hungry, even though he has a vow against him. He puts it on the rock. Hey, anyone who wants to come and take it can come and take it. And the other one can come and take it. That's permitted because he didn't give it to him directly. He went through the third party, in this case is the rock. Rabbi Yosef says it's prohibited. What is this, some kind of trick, right? Everybody knows what's going on here. You're not really, you're not really giving it to the third party for, as a gift. You're not really putting it on the rock as ownerless, right? There's nobody else around to take it. So you can't use this kind of loophole, right? We, under, we see your intention, right? Rabbi Yosef would be probably against uh, selling chametz, right? If uh, if the person you sold, the nanji you sold the chametz to, would really come and you would hesitate to give it to him, uh, then we would know that this was not, that was not a real sale. And same thing here, this does not look like it's a real gift. Rava explains, what's the reasoning behind Rabbi Yosef? Why is he worried about this? Because of an incident that happened in Bet Chodon. The full incident is mentioned in the Mishnah there, and it's talking about a case where uh, some uh, father is prohibited from deriving any benefit from his son. They got into a fight. The son says, um, uh, you cannot have any benefit from me. But then the son made a wedding for his son. And he felt bad. And he wanted his father to be there at the wedding. But what can he do? He can't invite his father because that would violate the vow. And so what he did is, he said everything in the wedding, all the food, everything here, I am giving as a gift to Mr. C. And that way, it's really Mr. C's food, and then the father can come, and he can sit and partake of the wedding. What happened, though? Mr. C went and said, oh, it's a gift to me. Thank you very much. You know what? I want to dedicate all of this to the Bet HaMikdash. I, he sanctifies all the food. And this is now no one can eat from it because it's all sanctified. And then the one who's the, the, the son who's making the wedding comes to him and says, wait a second, I didn't give you the, I didn't give all this to you as a gift so that you can make it sanctified. Only I gave it as a gift so that my father could come. So the Biosis says, see, when people give a gift like that, they're not really sincere. They're not fully giving it. They're only giving it with certain limitations. So since it's not a full gift, it's just a loophole and it's a not, a not a sincere one. And therefore, it doesn't work. And even in the case where a person is sincere and fully gives it, we still have to make a gezerah because sometimes people will not be sincere. And that's why the Biosis does not go for this loophole. But the majority opinion says, it's fine since technically I did not violate the vow. doesn't matter that uh, my intention was ultimately to get around the vow. It still is permitted. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen.